Hello and thank you for tuning in once again to Three in a Row. It's a special episode today because, believe it or not, I've got Damola here with me in the flesh, ready to break down the latest and greatest from the world of football. This episode, we started by talking about Arsenal's five-star performance. We moved on to the rest of the Premier League, looking at Liverpool blowing hot and cold, United resurging, Conte being on fraud watch, plus much more. We, of course, touched on the rest of Europe as well, starting with Napoli and the amazing performances they have put together recently. But building on and talking about La Liga uh, and the rest of Syria, plus much more. It's a great episode, so do enjoy and let us know what you think. A special day for us today. Ladies and gentlemen, Damala and I are live in the flesh in the same place. Damala, please say what's up. Hello, everyone. Welcome to New Three in a Row. We are live from London, United Kingdom. Um, I came to see the Arsenal match. It was fantastic. Boys gave us five star the entire way. Um, so, yeah, hello. My man said five star. <laughs> in, the, in the words of AG Baby, are you five star Lange? <laughs> I think that's a perfect. Is Adekule good an Arsenal fan? Funny enough, he's a United fan. <laughs> I bet you Whiskey is an Arsenal fan. Yeah, that you can tell. It shows in the vibes of the music. But I think then, Damala, you've given us a perfect place to start. You were there live in the flesh in the stadium. We beat Nottingham Forest 5-0 after losing um, midweek and also having a draw um, in the Premier League game before. What did you feel? What did you sense? What did you learn from that? So I think the biggest thing I learned was it's almost weird. The first half almost started like another one nil to the Arsenal performance, which I actually just learned how to sing that song properly this weekend. One nil to the Arsenal, one nil. You you learn the songs uh, pretty quickly when you're in the stadium. Yeah, it's you you have to learn, it's part of the vibes. Um, But it's weird. So the first half started hot. We got the Martinelli goal. But shortly after Saka went out injured and I hope he's healthy, you know, not healthy enough for World Cup, but healthy enough for Chelsea. It, that, that's just some England shit. He doesn't represent the views of all um, podcasters, kid. Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> I am I am pro Arsenal, less pro England national team. But if if Saka was to go to World Cup, I want him. I wish it were, but I, I just want him protected for my season. News from the Daily Mail: Arsenal and England optimistic Bukayo Saka will be back from injury in time for the World Cup. Okay, so nothing major there. But that being said, after his injury, the first half felt a bit flat, a bit boring, but they came out hot in the second half. A magnificent performance from Reese Nelson. It was obvious to see the entire squad was happy for him. And all around, it was a pretty good performance. It was controlled to a large extent. It Arsenal didn't look under pressure. The one clear chance they probably had, Jesse Lingard played the ball to the corner flag. And some of the comments made by the Arsenal fans around me could not be repeated on this podcast, but they were hilarious. Yeah. First of all, Jesse, if you're listening, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Someone definitely said that. (laughs) Second of all, um, I would actually question that whole Rich Nelson having an amazing performance. What quantifies an amazing performance? Because from those two touches where he scored, 
he actually didn't do too much. Uh, he had like two goals and an assist, no? Yeah, he had two goals and an assist, but also in part of the build-up play, I think there's a slight difference in the way he and Saka would have played that right wing because Saka is left-footed, comes inside expecting Ben White to overlap. With Reese, on the other hand, Reese was still coming inside, but Reese was almost taking a slightly more central role in the attacking third, where Odegaard was now the person supporting with his left foot there and having Ben White overlap, so, which is why for the first goal, you see him coming from that half space, drop two defenders, try to take it with his left foot. The Henderson made the save, then he finished off the rebound. For the second goal, you see... Odegaard and Jesus walk that right side and Jesus drops like a very pinpoint um, ball. We'll share that goal. I have a video of it with the with on our Instagram. And the space Jesus puts that, it was just magnificent. And Reese made a run through the center to finish off. It was like, to me, it was a moment of brilliance from all three of them because Odegaard almost lost the ball. But Reese had a pretty good game. Different game, but good game. I'll have to respect it and take it to go and assist. I, I personally feel like people need to stop saying that Arsenal don't have squad depth because clearly you do. Yes, yeah. now because you cannot you cannot tell me that um, Saka gets injured, Rhys Nelson comes in with two goals and one assist, um, and you want to tell me that you don't have squad depth. You're trying to cry wolf just in case things go bad. Better man up. <laughs> to defend your, <laughs> your Premier League season. No, you can't judge Rhys Nelson after one performance. Yes. Um, that being so, said, he has the same goal involvement as Jaden Sancho. More actually, goal and assist. Wow. wow. Um, and Oba and Sterling, even maybe, I think. Don't no, go. not Sterling, not Sterling. Yeah. Um, but uh, one more question on the game before we move on to, to the other ones. Um, and any of you can answer this, but is Jesus on fraud watch? No, no, oh. no. I, I, I can start for I, I can defend Jesus. So more recently, when I was actually like wondering because the numbers weren't looking good for goals as a striker, as an Arsenal striker, especially the way he started the season. But you can tell that the guys interpret guy like contribution to the squad, you know, to to the playmaking of the squad, to the goals, even the, indirectly, even the ones where he doesn't even get an assist, you know. Um, I don't particularly think he's on fraud watch, and I don't. I mean, I don't think it'd be wise to put that kind of pressure on the guy. I think the goals will come more naturally. But I removed him from my FPL squad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah let's go. Yeah, I also agree on the Jesus fee. It's in a weird way. I think he's in a position where he's trying too hard. In, in terms of like the build-up, so I think it's two things. One, I think I'm underrating probably, or we as a whole are underrating what Arteta is asking of him, right? Because one of the things that caught me off guard is in as much as he had chances centrally, Jesus played a lot, dropping deep, dropping wide around the box, link-up play, working with Xhaka. So that's why a lot of times people like Reese Nelson will end up as the nine at the end of certain sequences, Jacques could end up at the nine. Even Odegaard could end up at the nine in certain sequences. That repeated one tells me it's what Ateta is asking from him in certain phases of the game. That's the first part. Then the other part is 
yes, he had chances in front of goals. He had like maybe two chances I saw that yesterday where I'm like, yeah, Gabi, you should be burying this. But it's not, it's weird. It's not for a lack of effort. It's almost like he's trying too hard. I don't know how to explain it. But that for me is where my fear lies because somebody like Haaland does not look like he's trying too hard at all and he's killing it. Um, but obviously, Jesus is a work rate player and he works hard for everything he's got. So it makes me, it leads me to believe in front of goal, he'll also be a confidence player. So as much as he's definitely contributing to the team really well, I have this fear that ultimately he's not a, you know, as people said, a setty goal scorer in that sense. I I don't think that's something to be worried about now. Like if I just said, that's putting too much pressure on him right now, especially when we're in a moment where the team is doing well. And obviously that's the concern, like, oh, we're doing well right now and everybody's contributing goals. So there's no pressure on him. But I think that's fine. We just probably should allow him to find his feet. It's, I mean, we've been playing well, but it's easy to forget that we're only like, three months into a new season and three months for him into a new team. Yes, Arteta plays a similar style to Pep, but it's inherently a different thing. And even with Haaland, the way what Pep expects of him is very different. So with Pep and Haaland and City, you can count on your hands the amount of time. Haaland is anywhere other than the box 18, not within the width of the six-yard box the keeper are usually in. Versus Jesus, Jesus hits map probably just looks red all over the pitch. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with Ifatu. It's going to be harsh to judge him so far. Yeah, I mean, just to end on that one, I saw, I saw a hot take on the socials today that basically Jesus was a better signing than Haaland because of the contribution that Jesus makes to Arsenal's game overall, as opposed to the kind of player that Haaland is where he's looking for that five touches, five goals. Jesus is actually bringing something uh, to the Arsenal team. I'm not going to debate whether I agree or disagree with that one, but it's just a take. Um, they're basically saying that Haaland is Pep's um, last throw at like a Van Persie type signing, you know, that one piece to scatter everything. And once he's done with that, he drops his mic and he leaves um, Manchester City, which could be very interesting. Um, but yes, let's move on to Chelsea, shall we? Um, because they got twacked 4-1 by Brighton Hove Albion, and I think it's worth talking about. Abeg, Ifatu, did you watch this game? What happened? Um, I don't know. I think Chelsea, I lost the plot at some point because it's a game that they dominated, especially in terms of possession. Um, but not in terms of chances, because I think Brighton were just a lot more direct. Trossard... Um, it's causing a lot of problems. Um, even uh, Pascal Gross, I don't know Pascal Gross, I don't know if I'm correct, but he stayed as like right back. Yeah, he did, but I swear he's a like I see him up like he used, yeah, to... he was in was very bare people's FPL teams at the beginning of the season because he was putting in so many goals. Is that another Reese Nelson region? No, Pascal Gross has always been playing. Pascal Gross. But he never played at right back. He always played like forward positions. Exactly. I've never seen him at right back before. And he even contributed with a goal from that position. So I don't know. Um, I don't know whether Chelsea were outfoxed. I don't know whether it was a situation for the occasion um, owing to the Chelsea manager um, being the former Brighton manager, um, um, Graham Potter. 
bro, you best believe in that Brighton dressing room. They were ready. (laughs) (laughs) They must have been hyped. But so like you said, it's a weird one because although Chelsea dominated in possession, they weren't creating as clear-cut chances, right? So, I mean, XG subjective, but and Chelsea slightly underperformed the XG. They were 1.22. Brighton, on the other hand, in fairness, they had more XG than Chelsea. They had 2.08, but they had four goals from that. So they did overperform their XG. Now, maybe 4-1 is not the clearest reflection. It's a reflection, no. 4-1 is... If I, if I... <laughs> it's a reflection, man. This guy's got popped from the jump. No, I'm not saying it's not a reflection that Brighton was not a better team, but they weren't that much a better team. Um, but that I means mean, there were two on goals in that game, right? So I, I... yep, two on goals. Um, Shaloba and uh, I think it was Ruben Loftus cheek. Yeah, fine boy Loftus. Did you see what uh, Thiago Silva was doing in the beginning? With um, he made two errors that should have led to goals, but then he kind of made up for them by clearing it uh, um, from the line yeah. twice. So for me, those two goal line clearances already two Ojero cancelled. Um, <laughs> <for the people. laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, my worry for Chelsea though is the lineup. When I look at the lineup, it looks like Graham Potter has just been handed a bag of rubbish, as in no kind of cohesion in the team in terms of the players that they have available. And I, I feel he's really struggling to make it work. Although Chelsea managed to qualify in Champions League and everything is going well there, and this is the first game he's lost. I think it vindicates what we've been saying on the podcast, where there's Chelsea, worrying. yeah, there's something to worry about. Like they're playing, um, they're winning games, um, but they're not playing well, and it doesn't really look like there is a plan there. Um, Arsenal is facing Chelsea next week. I know who my money is on for that one. Same. But also on the Chelsea worrying thing, um, and I know Topway will probably have some thoughts on it. There's something weird about he's not playing Oba. Like he hasn't started Oba in the last two, maybe three games, if I remember. Start, uh, I know he started against Manchester United. Yeah, so Oba started against Manchester United, but that game was a weird one. Like nobody had, it was, it was all a midfield battle. There were no clear cuts like, Oh, Oba is missing chances, or in fact, they weren't really creating chances for him. But after that Chelsea game, I don't think he started Oba. He's brought him a lot from the bench, or Oba hasn't done like a full 90 minutes, which no. is great for me, especially when you're chasing a goal. And I I also think the other thing we're seeing is they're really missing Reese James. It's they tried playing Pulisic as a right wing back over the game. And that obviously didn't yield the results he was probably hoping it would. Sterling has a left wing back as well. Graham Potter is on crack. I'm sorry. He yeah. thinks he's still managing Brighton and he can just be moving guys anywhere, anyhow. And, you know, performances will go under the radar when it doesn't work. Um, but, hey, give him some time. Eh? It's, 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 the, it's the team inherited. And quickly on Oba, I would just say it's, it's a very simple answer, I think. He's not good enough. Oba is a shit guy. <laughs> I don't say that. I don't say that. Again, if Oba went to Barcelona and he had a terrible spell, I'd agree with you. But we're probably seeing some leftover of what we saw under Tuchel, which is Chelsea just doesn't create enough chances for their strikers. Mm. Perhaps. I mean, I'm, I'm interested to see how, how that one develops. Um. I would want to park Chelsea now and move on to another team that is a bit of uh, 
an enigma this season, Liverpool. But we called we called the Liverpool one, not the specific loss, but we called them being hot and cold. Um, uh, that, that was you. To be honest, I thought Liverpool was going to bounce back strong. Um, I recant my earlier statements. Yeah, because I think if Azumi and you mentioned that after the City win, that we both see them making top four, but there's going to be a hot and cold type movement. Yep. And in the last two Premier League games, they've had some really cold colds. But in they beat City in the Champions League, they took care of business to make sure they qualified for the next round. So I don't know, Liverpool is a, is a weird one. That Leeds game was another... It's it's it was another weird one. Klopp should. I actually don't know. It's. I mean, I can kind of like. I have an idea what's wrong, which we've spoken about a lot, which is like, the difference in pressing and the impacts, like the way they set up some of the defensive frailties, that opened up. But something I noticed, I believe it was earlier today, Klopp mentioned that. Like, you know, he's, he joked that, oh, at his age, he wakes up in the middle of the night to pee. But the he said that the goal against Leeds is something that keeps him up. And something interesting, even though Liverpool kind of, like, created the most chances, again, XG subjective, but, like, the difference between theirs and Leeds was not as much as you'd imagine it would be in like those two teams, right? Liverpool had 1.97, so you could say maybe two goals, but Leeds had 1.75. So it wasn't like, yeah, for probably all the possession dominance and football Liverpool played, they didn't do enough to hinder the opposition, you could say. You could say they created chances because I know Nunez didn't bury some of the stuff he should have, but... There's something really weird about the way they can now allow opponents get at them. And I think that's probably going to be club's biggest thing he needs to fix. It's the seventh season curse, man. I'm like, it's, I'm not even being funny anymore, but there's something to this P. Um, why every club, every time, seven years, we start struggling for form. We're, we're in the mid-table. It happened at Liverpool. I'm sorry, it happened at Dortmund. Um, and now it's happening again, no? It's, I mean, it's probably just us now noticing a pattern because right, because it's what minds Dortmund and now Liverpool. And I think a lot of that is also probably to the way he plays football, right? And the kind of like setup that is at Liverpool. So whereas Guardiola has a very demanding style of football, he has owners willing to fund him a mini refresh every three years. Right. So like the Guardiola team that started, remember it having uh, Leroy Sane, um, Aguero was there, Sterling was a big part of that. This is even before they got Mares, I think Gunola and so you know, company yeah. Fernandinho. Exactly. So like Guardiola, Guardiola him himself, he has learned that probably from that his first stint at Barcelona. And I don't know, I said first since I was there's a second one, but probably from his stint at Barcelona that his style of football and what he demands from his players. Without those mini refreshes throughout the squad, you're not necessarily changing the entire team, but those little like key players switching them, moving Cancelo to left back, um, sometimes not even playing Kyle Walker. 
um, things like that, getting new centre-backs, deciding not to play with a striker, even though Aguero was in the team, and different things like that. He's probably learned that those refreshes are what allow his ideas stay fresh and new for so long. Only very few players, like maybe De Bruyne, have the mentality and the ability to keep up with what he demands. Cobb plays slightly different from Guardiola, but a very intense type of football. And we're probably seeing signs that the seven-year mark, without those many refreshes, is the life cycle of his style of football. Um, Klopp blames the situation on injuries and the lack of fitness in his players. He, that's what he believes is the primary driver for Liverpool's poor form this season. Uh, before we move on from uh, the completely lackluster to the you know more average, um, to finish on Liverpool, I just have a hot take that they're going to have a very strong Champions League run this season. Like, very strong. Watch this space. Also, Champs is looking um, quite delightful for that next round of 16 and then potentially round of 8, where you only get the purest, as in the best. Because the way the, I looked at the fixture list, the way it works, um, it's like all the big teams will get a chance to face each other starting in the quarterfinal. Um, so that should be Zuber, interesting. Something to add to that, though. Europa League is shaping up to be very spicy, man. Ajax dropping in. Um, Juve dropping in. Barcelona dropping in. Um, Atletico Madrid also dropping in. It's yep. the Europe. Hopefully Tottenham to follow. Yeah, hopefully Tottenham to follow. The Europa League is slowly... It's... Uh, Tottenham are on top of their group. What are you guys talking about? <laughs> one point between Tottenham yeah. and last. If they don't, if they don't, don't pick win. up points, yeah, if they, they don't pick up. Yeah, points. I know they can still not qualify. I know. Yeah. So and Conte is on fraud watch. Okay, like as I said, we're moving on from the downright bad to the mediocre, and I put three clubs in that. Well, two today. It will be United and Tottenham. And um, I don't know if I too, do. You want to? Pick up on your boys first. Uh, you must be happy with how things are going with Ten Hag. You guys are flying right now. Yeah, you guys play good football right now. I'm actually interested to hear on, on this one. If I do. Who, who is the third best uh, football playing club now? We established that Arsenal are after Man City. What's the third? What's the third club? Don't be asking me that kind of question. No, no, no. I'm asking you guys. I want you to tell me because I want you to look at the other clubs on in the league and tell me what other clubs are playing good football. Newcastle. I'd accept Newcastle, to be honest. Newcastle. Uh, Newcastle. Yeah, Newcastle are playing quite well. Um, I'd also say Brighton. Brighton has played some really good... They haven't been scoring since the coach change, but in terms of playing football, they played really good football. I'll give you have Brighton few. played Arsenal this season? No, they haven't. Um, they, they lost all their games until that. Yeah, Brighton have now beaten Manchester United and... Um, and Chelsea, um, I think, yeah. Of yeah, and Chelsea. And but, Chelsea. I don't know whether they also beat Tottenham. What did they do against Tottenham? I think they lost. Um, they lost Tottenham? Yeah. Oh, yeah, Tottenham won one nil. yeah. Um, but if I to, I, I take your point. I would say United is playing just as, as good as football as even Arsenal right now, to be honest. And... No, 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 let's not, let's not do that. Arsenal recently haven't been great, but I won't say United's peak has been as good as Arsenal's peak. No, uh, mm. Okay. No, yeah. Uh, one, I mean, if you watched that Tottenham game, though, that was fucking beautiful. Yes, no, the Tottenham game was a fantastic game. And I've, I've been joking about it. Um, I was like, they finally sent Ten Hag the right Casemiro manual because Casemiro is actually looking like he's not here for retirement anymore. 
he actually looks like he's playing ball. Yes, but uh, honestly, I feel like there's still a lot of room for improvement with Manchester United. Um, our defense, um, I know we kept a clean sheet, and I, I know people are really like um, healing and bigging up Lisandro Martinez, and our defense has like a new look and all that stuff. Um, to be fair, Maguire even came back and had a solid um, performance. Um, yeah, he did. Maguire had a solid performance. I agree. <laughs> Yeah, but what 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 I would say is that um, I mean, when you when the goalkeeper looks like he's the man of the match or one of the best players in the team, you know, there's still um, you know there's still progress to be made there, and they here um, had to we had to withstand like a very very late onslaught from the from the West Ham opposition towards the end of the game. And I, I, I don't know, I would like to avoid that. Um, it was just one nil. That could have been 2-1, honestly. They could have scored one goal and scored another so very easily. So um, I feel like there's room for improvement. And um, yeah, Manchester United, I don't want to knock us down. But yeah, there's, you know, I, I mean, we should just keep trying to improve. That is That should be the, the mindset. And not that, oh, we've gotten there because we've not. I will say this, though. I think United's problems or the room for improvements are related to, funny enough, uh, Liverpool's big problems, which are, one, in defence, you guys lack some depth. Like, your best defensive back four, you lack depth in terms of, like, how you can rotate that, which is something, weirdly enough, Arsenal has, um, City has, Newcastle has, which are currently, like, the three best defensive teams in the league. That's one thing United lack. And then the other thing that you lack is... and it actually pains me to say it is a forward who can press because the the big man, you know, love him for all he's done, but he's not doing the job anymore. Yo, can we talk about Ronaldo actually really quickly? Um, what did you think of the whole Cristiano walking away at the Tottenham game and then coming back and then how did he perform in Europa? And what was he like yesterday? I want to get a take from somebody who actually, you know, cares. Yeah, I care. <laughs> um, yeah, it's never it's never a nice look to um, you know for anybody to walk out of the stadium before the game is done. So um, it's definitely um, Ronaldo's bad there. He should not have done that. Um, and obviously, there needs to be a bit of telling off for doing that. Albeit, you know, even if it's even if it's legend like Ronaldo. Um, I don't know. I think Ronaldo is not happy with his game time. He would like to be involved more. He wants to play. I don't. I don't know whether he wants to play every match, but at least I, I imagine he wants to be involved a lot more. And it didn't seem like he was. You know, I think they were trying to bring him on like in the last five ten minutes, and I think that was why he refused. I don't know why he did that as well because you know he. he I don't know how you refuse to play for Manchester United. Um, that on its own. Use, fam. How can you do that and still be at the Yeah, club? exactly. Exactly. That's like that's like even violating the terms of your contract. <laughs> like you can't do that. Right. And um, so he was punished and rightfully so. I think I really like my manager. I like how my manager is looking. I like how he's handling the situation because you're the manager, you're in control, you're in charge, and you have to prove it, even when there is a big character such as Ronaldo in your dressing room. Um, and I think he's handled handled it quite well. He's sort of like protected Ronaldo in terms of like he didn't like sort of like give him like a public telling of like oh yeah you know he just said oh you know he, he's done it before you know because let's not forget Ronaldo has done this before he's he's left the studio before um 
before the, the match was yeah he's done this before so ten hag told him you know you've done this before you were warned you know you've done it again there has to be consequences right but then the, the consequences weren't particularly malicious right it was one game off he wasn't in the bench he wasn't involved in the squad and Ronaldo himself for me from my own point of view has handled it quite well as well right he didn't like um I mean, I know, I know, I know somebody with the influence of Ronaldo behaving like that is never really good, right? But I feel like Ronaldo took the punishment quite well. Like he trained with the under-23s as instructed, and he rejoined the team and he started the game against West Ham. Now, um, he still looks like he's rusty. I mean, did you like his apology? I thought the apology was not an apology. <laughs> it was it wasn't no, 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 it wasn't really an apology. You can feel a bit of ego in Ronaldo's uh, words. Um, you can feel that ego is still there. He's still Ronaldo. He still feels there should be respect involved here. And um, he's not probably getting as much respect as he would like or he thinks he deserves. So there's that element there. You know, I cannot speak crazy about Ronaldo. Who am I? Come on, guys. This is Cristiano Ronaldo we're talking about. So I don't think I'm going to go out on um, public air and then just talk shit about Ronaldo. I'm not going to do that. But um, I'm going to say it as it is, though. You know, what he did was wrong. And um, he was punished and he took the punishment well. And he's back involved in the squad. Um, and I think that there's a bit of fire in his belly. And I am hopeful that he is going to um, express that with some some goals for Manchester United. I, um, I personally uh, can talk shit about Ronaldo because I don't know the man. Um, probably never will. And I think United. You know, do you know all the guy. people you talk shit about? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I think I think United should be looking to sell Ronaldo in January, and I think Ronaldo should be looking to leave in January. I think both parties should be having the conversation right now that look, okay, after the World Cup, how do we find a solution for everybody that makes everybody happy? And United should focus on kind of getting Martial fit and adjusting Rashford into that striker position because Rashford is actually finally starting to look like a player that has some confidence uh, and some balls. Um, although I'm happy to note his finishing is actually also not that great, which is kind of good. I think, See, I, I think it's important to point out that Manchester United need Ronaldo as well because we don't, I mean, we don't have a striker. Martial is injured, okay, so what next? You know, it's just Rashford. Rashford is not even like a full-on striker. He likes to play off the left a lot of the time, you know. So um, we need a striker. And Ronaldo is, is the only other alternative. So I think we should, I mean, if we are planning to let him go in January, then we should also be planning very, very seriously to get some sort of replacement. Do you know who um, you need? You, you need the, uh, I was actually going to say somebody else, but also in Syria, close, close call. Victor Sibaba. Victor also. Okay, now, uh, here's the funny thing though. Actually, I think Victor will be great for United in that he's one of those strikers that his finishing has really improved this season. But also, you know, he's a striker that is not giving his opposing centre back any peace. Like, as a centre back, if you know you're fitting Victor Simoen that day, you know you have to work. Like, you're, you're in for a very, very long one. And in doing that, it creates space for the talented wingers around him and even Bruno Fernandes to even take better shots and have better opportunities to score. But yeah, the United thing is, the Ronaldo thing is weird, right? Because there's this history, he's a legendary player, one of the best to ever do it. 
and it's obvious that's a deciding factor because the reality is some of like Ronaldo has always had qualities that aren't great in terms of like body language when things aren't necessarily going well that stuff but his production has always been enough to overlook the less glamorous side of his overall being as a footballer he's finally at a point where that production is not enough to overlook those other things so it's a new in as much as it's a weird place to be for United it's also a new place to be for Ronaldo I mean it's not as if he doesn't want to produce but you know in this new system things aren't just clicking the way he probably wants I'm not gonna lie aesthetically he just looks a bit lazy I don't know I I, 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 I feel like money I don't know. Money complicates so much. You know, when 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 Torquez says or when people say um, Ronaldo should leave in January or United should have let him go over the summer, I wonder, like, go where? You know, Sporting, I think Sporting, um, Sporting Lisbon's director recently came out and said how, like, they dream of Cristiano Ronaldo and how to, you know, how lovely to be to have Cristiano Ronaldo at Sporting Lisbon. But, um, they couldn't get him um, over the summer because his wages are crazy, you know. So that's like I don't know. Is, I don't know who is that one. Is there is there like some sort of who knows? Is there like some some sort of financial logical reason why Sporting Lisbon cannot afford to sign Cristiano Ronaldo? Maybe, maybe because of the wages, or is it that um, Cristiano Ronaldo cannot reduce his wages? Because then, if Ronaldo does not want to reduce his wages, and then he means no one can get him. You know, he's not a, he's not an affordable person. And you cannot put that on Manchester United, right? Yeah, I I agree. Um, I think it's a combination. Well, I think it's the wages and the fact that... But I also don't think it's not so simple for a player to just reduce his wages because he yeah, has... Yeah, I imagine, I imagine, I imagine it's a bit complicated. Yeah. You know, yeah. In my mind, it's probably on like 500k a week. Exactly. You know? There's a lifestyle and there. There's agents that he has to pay. There's other people that are incentivized to keep those wages high that are not Ronaldo. He's also right. A, he's, Good he's point. Also, a commercial behemoth. If I'm his agent, and any club that was trying to sign Ronaldo says his wages are massive, I'm telling them, you do your marketing team right. You could probably make that money back easily. Like it's one of those. It's I think it's one of those things that aren't said. Like right now, for the longest time, United made certain decisions for marketing reason. Now you can tell the decision on Ronaldo is purely football reasons, but it would be hard to say they can't also consider the marketing side because he is a marketing behemoth. So it's it will be interesting to see how it plays out. I obviously wish United the worst. Um, in this uh-huh. And I pray the confusion crumbles their season. I'll tell you why I think, though. I don't think Ronaldo is going anywhere in January. I think Ronaldo mm-hmm. is going to score a few goals very, very soon. I feel like Ronaldo is going to also score a few goals in the World Cup. And um, Manchester United, I mean, towards November, December time, there will be no talk of like Ronaldo leaving Manchester United because he is going to be like an invaluable asset, and you know he would really be involved in t- in the team. That's what I that's what I predict. World Cup hundred percent, I think, is his focus and has to be his focus um, for the next couple of weeks, months, depending on how far um, Portugal gets. Um, and if he has a good World Cup, that changes the tone for completely, right? 360, if Ronaldo takes Portugal far in the tournament, all of a sudden it's about, you know, so all of a sudden it's, you're not utilizing Ronaldo best. Um, uh, but all of this Ronaldo talk kind of really makes me want to just highlight the fact that his twin brother, Messi, is... 
balling out of his skin at the moment. And PSG, like, like, do you think he's he's doing enough to be a Ballon d'Or con- contender so far? Like for the next? Yes. Messi, 100%. 100%, 100%, right? I just 100%. wanted to confirm that because he's he's popping he's popping off in the Champions League. He's popping off in the league. Oh, uh, I mean, I don't know what else what else he he has to do. I feel like he just needs to stay healthy, stay fit, um, keep his mental. His mentals up, and I, I don't know. I think he can win another Ballon d'Or, and I would love to see him win the World Cup with Argentina. Oh my God! See, I, I don't know about that. I, I look, he's still want Ronaldo to win the World Cup if over over Messi. But that being said, if Messi does it, I won't say there's another. Actually, no. My first nah, preference. Nah, has I, I, I love Cristiano Ronaldo, but nah, nah. I'm but fine with Messi for I, the World I, Cup. Honestly, I I was one of the people that was a bit harsh on Messi that last season. I I think with certain sports like basketball when they say oh a player did not have a good preseason i can see how that will affect the entire season with football on the other hand sometimes maybe it's because i've been watching it for long it's always hard to give that consideration but at messi's age him not having a good preseason last season with the entire thing going on in barcelona and him having injuries probably played a bigger factor than i give credit for they're coming into the season, he had a proper preseason for the first time in a long time, had time to spend with family, and he's looked like a different man. He also looks like whatever weird thing was going on with Pochettino and the way Poch was trying to use him. The new coach has figured it out. He's using Messi as Messi is now and not trying to force something that's not allowing... Messi be his best version of himself while allowing Neymar and Mbappe be the best versions of themselves. Um, the new coach has really found a different way to Messi, which is weird. All of us were asking Poch to play him that way too, mm-hmm. as a number 10 behind like almost two wide forwards. But I mean, Poch thought he knew something better than the rest of us and, you know, he lost his job for that. I'm, I'm really disappointed in Pochettino and the job he did there at PSG, especially because uh, this new guy, is it Setien? Or someone else. Kike says here, I might be calling the wrong guy, but this new guy seems to be doing all the right things for this PSG squad. Making he made all the right additions in the in the summer. Yeah. And their new manager's name is Christophe Gaultier. Gaultier. Uh-huh. Sorry, sorry. My bad. Um the f- formerly of Nice, right? Shai or Lil Lil. Because he took Renato Sanchez um with him. I really wanted that guy. Nah, nah, it was- was from Nice, Nice and Leo actually. Oh, uh, so I was right twice. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm loving what he's doing with this guy. I think they needed a humble guy like this as a coach that is, I don't know, more simple in his approach to football, has a clear thing that he can just put Messi, Neymar, Mbappe up front and, you know, sort out the rest of the squad to actually be a decent, cohesive team. Uh, without overcomplicating it based on the superstars in front. I'm really excited by PSG. I know we've kind of segued away from United and the Prem completely, but I couldn't I couldn't help it. Um, so that we can fully move on to the rest of, of the world of football, um, I would just like to say I am putting Antonio Conte on fraud watch, yes. period. It's Conte and Spurs in general. But yes, I agree on fraud watch. He's But he's not as deep as... Allegri. I'm not even going to lie. And Tope probably called me on this. I am very lucky. Or we as a last name. I'm very lucky like they didn't listen to me when I was asking for Allegri and stuff. Like that. Rob, all those asked for, asking for Allegri. Uh, rubbish. 
unbelievable just based on clouds. Allegri has always been not that great in my personal opinion. Um, but guys, if we're doing some quick hits from around the world of football, perhaps we do start with Juventus and Allegri. Why haven't they sacked him and when Poch and Tuchel are on the market? It's a bit weird. I mean, I saw some things that is related to money. If they... I don't know what's going on with Juve, man. They went from a very financially healthy and stable club to a series of bad decisions and being in a tight spot. It started with Ronaldo. To be honest, I actually think it ended with Ronaldo. It started before that. Because what Juve used to do was they used to they used to almost defer cost of players, right? In that they will sign players on free transfers, but by Signing for player free transfer, yes, you avoid the cost of the transfer fee, but the wages, the agent fee, the sign-on fee, some of those other fees that usually would probably be baked into the transfer fee, all of a sudden, and maybe have responsibilities by both clubs, all of a sudden, those become the sole responsibility of the buying club. So, and UV also, like, for a club that's not doing well, they pay, I think they said almost United-level wages, yeah, their wages are ridiculous for the amount for where they are right now. So it's like it hasn't been a perfect storm. So yeah, I won't be surprised if it's because of money they can't suck him. The squad building has also been appalling. Um, like if you look at the midfield, for example, they just have a bunch of the same type of player. None of them particularly good at holding the ball. All of them are Aaron Ramsey or Western McKenney type players, where you know they just have like they have a bunch of blaze matuidis across the pitch. Um presence like not even a deep creative presence to help Vlahovic because Vlahovic is eating off scraps right now also like why did they sign Di Maria uh, that guy just went to do training ahead of the World Cup He's and I'm pretty sure that's his focus I want to give him like benefit of a doubt but Di Maria has been injured a lot so I assume health has played a factor but overall Juve haven't been good I think that's what happens when you sign a 30 plus player um, health would be a factor. Um, so, yeah, my prescription to Juve, sack this guy as soon as possible. Um, but in the same league, we've talked about it already a little bit, Napoli are flying and they are still flying. Uh, as in, is this bubble ever going to burst? I'm having to do more and more research into the team, into this amazing kind of winger that they have that I can't pronounce. Just unbeaten, right? Yeah. Kovaskelia. Yeah, yeah, he's a baller. His name. Bro, bro, what did you call him? Kavarashkelia. <laughs> was it Kavarashkelia? Yeah, I, I finally learned how to... After that day on the Not podcast... Not like I can do any better. Yeah, after that day on the podcast, I couldn't pronounce it. I want to go and find the pronunciation properly. So I, I said that yeah, I need to actually like twice. practice it because he deserves it. Yeah, he deserves our respect. He's been balling. He's, to be honest, Napoli's recruiting over the summer has been fantastic. Um, and it's showing... And it's almost like because Napoli were pretty close last season. Then towards the tail, he's twenty-one years old. Oh my god! Exactly. Yeah, he was like twenty-five or something. Nope. He's a he's a diamond in the rough. So I did exactly. This is not even his peak form. He's already this good. So best is yet to come. It's it's fantastic and it's weird, right? Like, so you know how like both Arsenal and Napoli had really good spells last season. But towards the tail end, they couldn't meet their goals. For Napoli, they went far enough where ideally they should have finished in the top two. But they ended up finishing 
kind of third behind the top two, AC Milan and Inter. Um, and this season, they almost seem like they've come back with a bit of a revenge mentality because they they got rid of some of the older weights. So they don't have Insigne anymore. They don't have Dries Mertens anymore. They got some good money for Kuibai. But recruiting to replace that and also augment what's currently there has been fantastic. We already spoke about Kavarash Kelia. But even Osime, Osime has been injured for a part of the season. But every time he comes on the pitch, you know, it's it's one of those things where, like, he's like, he made Van Dyke sweat, man. And I know that could be like, man, everybody's winning Liverpool. That's nothing special. But this was still very early on when we were wondering if it was one-off for Liverpool versus, like, a major issue. Van Dyke did not have a game. It was, and they also have depth, right? Funny enough, the best Simeone is not Diego Simeone in Atletico. Is Simeone's son in in Napoli? He's having a fantastic season, and they have good squad depth. They are able to rotate. Um, Raspadori is playing well all around. They're they're a very solid team, and they are fantastically coached. Yeah, it seems like a fairy tale story where everything is just clicking. Bro, you, who is Simeone's son? Giorgio, I mean, Kilonque. Um, Giovanni Simeone, Gio. The guy has a, do you see that thing where he has the Champions League um, tattoo? Um, and, and now he's finally balling off. He's not young, he's 27 years old. So, yeah. It's hey, that that's that's a message for the kids out there. Don't give up on your goals. Simeone. <laughs> Yeah, so let's um let's move on from Italy. Uh, shout out to AC Milan and Atlanta as well, actually, who are playing really well, going under the radar, especially Atlanta. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the Serie A. Um, Madrid drop points. Oh, sorry, sorry, the La Liga. Madrid drop points this weekend. Um, Barcelona just about managed to scrape a big. Let me start here. Actually, I'm putting Xavi on fraud watch. Xavi's on fraud watch. I wouldn't say that. I'll say Barcelona as an entire organization are on fraud watch or are fraud. No, they are frauds. Not not fraud watch. They are they are fully there, and it's for a while. Xavi was outperforming the bureaucratic nonsense, but if there's anything I think we've learned in world football, if the bureaucracy and the administration isn't top notch, it eventually bleeds into the football. We, we saw it with Arsenal, we've seen it with Chelsea, um, and now we're just seeing it at Barcelona, but on a very high degree of fraudulent behaviour, for lack of a better term. The, the idea that they were mortgaging their future on being able to qualify for the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Again, we called it on this podcast. They had a glamorous transfer window, but that was such a risk. I'm not even sure they needed to take, especially when the players they had were performing at a pretty high level. Obviously, you don't rest on your laurels because your competitors are going to also improve. But to the extent they went and the money they spent, it didn't make sense. And rather than a risk going one way, it went the other way. And, you know, hey man, it's going to be interesting to watch them in the Europa League playoffs. I would um I would never understand why they signed Rafina um when they already had all of the options that they did have and now Ansufati is not even playing. 
Guys, um, Barcelona on top of, of La Liga, though. They're second. Madrid, no, Madrid they're are, top. are top by one point. Um, oh, really? Real Madrid are going to win the league. I mean, I changed my original stance. Like, thinking Barcelona had the quality and the squad depth and blah, blah, blah. Guy, Fede Valverde, we spoke about him in the last episode. Um, Vinicius, Rodrigo, all of these guys are stepping up big time. You know, Camavinga and Chouameni just in time for France, who I'm sure we'll move on to now shortly. Yeah, Chouameni does looking like he's probably starting DM for France at the World Cup with the news that neither Pogba nor Kante is going to be there. Um, but yeah, La Liga, I'm, I'm still team Madrid for La Liga. Um, but with some of the injuries and things happening right now, I'm actually concerned for what type of World Cup we're going to have. Yeah, guys, let's um let's move on to the World Cup before we round it up for today. Uh, apparently, the Spain um, provisional squad is out and no room for your boy De Gea. Like, who did they select? Uh, who are the goalkeepers? Is Kepa there? Oh my gosh, they, they took Kepa ahead of the hair. Kepa is there. Fraud. Fraud. <laughs> yeah, I don't. So I think part of it is it's weird in the sense that a lot of it probably has to just do with the German coach, Luis Enrique, um, and how he wants to play. Right? He likes playing from the back. And all of that. But even if those are your main, like, if, even if those are things, you still need to keep us able to stop shots. These are one-off games. And he has one of the best shot stoppers in the game. Like, criticize his play from the back all you want. But, like, you know, the, the three goalkeepers they selected in the Premier League ahead of him, Kepa, who you could say has looked good since he came back. But the other two, I don't know how you can really put them ahead of the year. Robert Sanchez and David Raya. Sanchez is good for Brighton. I love him. But I don't think he's a better shortstopper than the year. I think it's more about the distribution there. And it sounds to me like David Raya is about to be the starting goalkeeper for Spain national team. That really excites me because thank you, David, for the Brentford tickets. We love you. And I'm so proud of you as a person, <laughs> as a person and a goalkeeper. But all jokes aside, I think it's just a future-facing approach because for all the hair's wonderful shot-stopping abilities, I wouldn't say he's that good um, in terms of what's asked of a modern goalkeeper these ball. days, especially compared to David Rea, but when you're sleeping on David Rea and Sanchez. There's a difference between setting up your team for one-off tournaments, like the World Cup, and setting up your team to win it. 38 games in a season, that gets very important. 16 games, one-offs, no first leg, second leg on the other hand. That is a very different setup. I put it this way though. If something comes, it's looking like the starting three goalkeepers they'll take up. It was a professional 55-man list, in fairness. But the starting goalkeepers are looking to be the athletic goalkeeper, um, Onaisi, who has traditionally played for Spain recently under then Brighton from the Sarchers and Brentford still with Those are looking like the three goalkeepers. 
if you have your primary key, like you clean up in the bathroom nice and well, and then you follow it up with another one. You can't tell me the here can't be one of those people. Because what? Yeah, like that. That makes no sense. He's also been having a very fantastic season. Yeah, he's played out from the bathroom at times, but like if I to alluded to earlier. The games where United's defense come under pressure, they they has one of those keys as well. Does so I I don't get it. Yeah, I guess ultimately for me, it's a personal problem. <laughs> exactly. There's an element of respect involved there. Because there's no reason, especially people make a choice as well. Um, I mean, ultimately, guys, I think that's all we have time for today. Didn't get to touch on Newcastle. I would say a big, great performance. But hopefully next week we uh, talk to you more about what we think is. Shout out Newcastle! You're yeah. flying high. Things yeah. Yeah, we, we love Newcastle on the pod. I, yeah, anyhow, it was fantastic. Uh, they're they solid defensive team for us. But going forward, they're also pretty good. Do you know what I didn't realize? Do you know something that I found out was that Anyhow, when you were out of the job, you went to a medical to shadow to improve the defensive side of his game because that was always his real performance. Man, that guy learned some stuff. Based on that disrespect, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. As Gab Marcotti says, love the game, love your neighbor, and love yourself. Peace out. <laughs>